0: Hello, welcome to the Home Cinema Design Podcast, Episode Two. Are you compromised? Well, don't feel bad because life is compromise, and all projects are compromise. It's just you've got to know when
1: you're making them. Mm, that's that's the problem when you don't know you're making a compromise, isn't it? Yeah. So you've started. I think the biggest compromise that we all have to deal with to start with is cost. Because, you know, we're not dealing with an open checkbook ever. So our our initial compromise is always our cost. And then for me, the whole room is a case of ordering the compromise is in order from your discovery meeting. Very good. What's a discovery meeting, Tom? Your initial meeting with your new customer. And it is literally discovering what they want, what they think they want, what they actually want, and how you're going to implement it and probably also a little bit of education Let's take the screen. There's, there's normally two choices in in screen sizes or ratios, 16-9 or Cinemascope. Absolutely. So which one do you go for?
0: Very tricky. Go. Yeah. I'm going to need more information, Tom. I've had a client who was big into films, really wanted it. We were kind of chatting about a Cinemascope aspect screen, and then he came in to see me properly for a demo because I'd actually sold the system before we'd ever met. We did a lot of discovery over Zoom because there was a lockdown on, right? Um, And I was showing him some stuff and quite a few of the clips were in sixteen nine, and quite a few of the clips were in um, CinemaScope. And then he mentions, oh, Formula One on a Sunday. Religiously, I don't miss that. I really, really love it. And I said, okay, well, let's look at this then because at the room size you've got and at the kind of seating layout we're thinking about, that's going to be quite a bit smaller. Mm -hmm. And I see this a lot. Actually, people put in CinemaScope screens because they're cool but then when you go into watching tv material so box sets certainly all of the sport some films yeah
1: it's a bit small some films change all the way through the film itself yes that can get really annoying very annoying <laughs> so you need to have a really good
0: feel about yeah what is the client going to be watching on an average week yeah and try and kind of optimize for that yeah a really good answer is a masking screen but i've seen that done wrong if you've got a room that's quite narrow Let's say the screen ends up at I don't know three meters wide and then you bring that in, suddenly it's a bit it's a bit small. Mm, yeah. Talking to one of my colleagues and they were like, Oh, it's a bit of a postage stamp, isn't it? And I knew exactly what he meant because I've seen it. And that doesn't feel like great service to me.
1: No, I've never I've never done a masking screen. I'll be honest, they're not on my radar. Because we as we as guys who are designing these rooms, we're spending their money and I want to get them the absolute best that I can give them. We've got an obligation to spend their money wisely. Yeah, absolutely. And unless the customer has a huge budget, and one of his things is he wants both screens, he doesn't want to see a bit of screen either in scope or 16.9 with some black bars anywhere ever at all, well, then it goes in.
0: I think it's this. I think you'd have to have, yeah, just quite a bit of budget for that to be worth it because usually you can always have either more subs better subs, more channels, better channels, that kind of thing. So I think we need to be achieving some pretty good performance levels and have a bit in the tank Mm -hmm. before that becomes appropriate. I've never done one either. I'm sort of itching to, but I feel like, yeah, I've got an obligation to do the right thing.
1: It will come. I have no doubt in my mind, and I'll know where I'll go to go and get it. Anyway, let's move on.
0: Here's one. Thin foam absolutely everywhere in the acoustic treatment, because that's going to have an effect, Mm -hmm. but... It's probably not what you wanted.
1: Yeah, so I think when people are are getting thin foam, throwing it behind acoustically transparent fabric and expecting it to create a perfect cinema experience and actually all it's probably doing is killing the decay time of high frequencies.
0: But the mid, the bass are totally unaffected. So in other words, we're just turning the treble down for the room. Yeah. Actually, Floyd's good on this. Um, he did some lectures and CD made these lectures available for free over lockdown. And he was saying, rather than do thin foam everywhere, you're better off doing nothing. Mm. Nothing is an option. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing I don't get is because nearly all speakers that go behind fabric, which is most of what we're doing these days they're going to add 100 mil of depth. Mm-hmm. So I think you've got the depth available to use minimum kind of 40 mil, but maybe thicker kind of up to 100 mil of foam seems to me good order. Yeah. Because that's a more broadband absorption and that will kind of tame any reflections in the room yeah, without just totally changing the sound character of what's coming off the sides. I think
1: there's, there's, there's definitely a use case for it, but you've got to know what you're doing with it to use it in the right way. So, Tom, in your new demo room, I remember early on, you put quite a lot of slat wall in. I did. I did. Yeah. And I actually really like the look of, I I did quite like the look of it. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as I started playing some noise in there, I thought, hmm, I have issues here. And it was just a little bit too lively. So it came out.
0: It was a mistake. In case you're not in the UK, Slatwall is a product at the moment that's quite sort of trendy. You see it everywhere. And they talk about it being an acoustic treatment. And it's, it's true in that it has an effect, but it's kind of thin timber battens, usually faced with quite a nice wooden veneer. And then in the gaps, there's kind of an acoustic felt. Again, usually quite thin, usually about 10 mil thin.
1: Yeah. Well, the, the problem is it's it's the stuff that you can buy off the shelf Irwin, is is like, I don't know, five or six mil of they call it acoustic backing i mean that's going to work at such high frequency it's going to do basically nothing and there's more there's far more reflective surface than there is absorptive surface because what you've got to remember is is although you've got the flat face of the the wooden slats of the vertical slats that's going to rebound also those, those, the thickness of the wood that returns back to that absorptive material will also reflect. So you, you're actually creating more surface area to reflect. Now, they will scatter, so that scattering will happen, but the energy stays in the room is, 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 the, is the key issue.
0: We talked about this a bit last week, but too many seats in a room is definitely a compromise. Yeah. I think if you have seats that are perhaps not hitting level one in your cinema and they're for guests and it's occasional, I think that's reasonable. But the question is, did you have that conversation? Because I think that clients walk in with a seating plan. And you've got a choice then, haven't you? You can kind of push back and say, can we make this better? Or say, well, look, I can give you great performance in this front row. Back row is going to be compromised. If you want really good, we're going to have to make the room bigger. Mm-hmm. So there's no wall behind those back people. If they say, no, 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 we want it. Yeah, of course, do it. Yeah. And if it's teenage kids coming around to do gaming, maybe they don't care and maybe that's okay, but you have to have
1: that chat. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It's having that chat and making sure that your customer is aware of what they're asking for and the consequences of that. The The 16 seats there in, their, in their single garage probably isn't going to work for any of the seats, <laughs> you know, so let's talk about that and let's be realistic with it, and we can put them in if you want us to. But it's going to be a detriment. You're going to have one one good seat and 15 relatively mediocre seats. And is that what you want? Yeah. I've got a
0: take on this as well. I really think I took someone from 12 seats down to seven, mm. telling them sometimes what they don't want to hear, but sticking to my guns, being a bit honest. I swear you go up in their
1: estimation. Yeah. Who likes the yes man? Yeah. I've got one. Go on. Speaker choice. So we, we've... Probably by the time that we're choosing our speaker, we've already got the locations, we've got our channel count, we know where our subs are going. How do we choose a speaker, Owen? Ooh, well,
0: I definitely have to hit some numbers. Mm-hmm. I definitely have to not go over budget or come back and say, I can't do it, I need to go over budget. So that needs to then be true. Um, I've probably got something that's worked before. Mm-hmm which I do think is reasonable, by the way. I don't think you should go to market every single time you do a room. I think if you know something's good in a room that size, you can use it again.
1: Yeah. Um, what are you What are you driving at? I think we as an industry are compromising our speaker choice on the data we're given. Ooh, very good. Okay, so um, a good friend of mine on social media posted a post and, and I got chatting with him because I wanted to know a few more details because there's things in there that I knew were a compromise. And... He actually replied to me saying, "Yes, they are a compromise because of this." It's like, oh, do you know what? Fair enough. And we got chatting about the speakers because I'd never seen them before. There was no names on them, and I was like, mm, "That's interesting. This might be a speaker that I could consider using." Anyway, he sent me the specs, and the the, the specification of the speaker said um, eighty-eight dB sensitivity, maximum power of two hundred and fifty watts and i think it's max spl figure was 120 db at 1 meter well my calculation that that speaker at 88 db sensitivity needs like 1600 watts and so straight away i've looked at the whole of that sheet now and thinking well what do i believe yeah so that's naughty well there's lots of naughty about we should talk about all of it diesel gate isn't it
0: <laughs> my least favorite of these is power outputs on AV receivers. I mean, I'm, I, I came out of this from the sort of the hi-fi world where you had to take a normal British hi-fi type speaker and a underpowered mass market AV receiver and put them together. Mm-hmm. And the power inflation that you started to see just went absolutely out of hand. And even nowadays, most mainstream AV receivers quote their power at one-channel driven. Mm-hmm. I listen to a lot of surround sound, right? Mm-hmm. Very rarely one-channel driven. Yeah. That doesn't help me. Nope. Usually there's things going on. There's music out of the front too. There's surround sound happening all around me. There's dialogue coming out of the middle. Building collapses and everything goes on, right? Yeah. So what's my real power output? 30 watts? Maybe. Not Not enough. Mm. So that's bad. Oh. There's ways to massage a speaker figure. So many ways. You know, so, oh, it's doing this much, but only at that frequency and only at such and such distortion figure and so yeah that goes loud if it's unlistenable great yeah it's really common and the problem is there isn't a real standard for this we're not being given the data that we actually need now i think the resi industry hasn't asked for it before really so for example a lot of the makes that are working in pro audio are used to giving out this data because that's what pro sound designers need
1: yeah I mean, you look at PA kit, for example, Erin. Uh-huh. that has, you know, I do a bit of commercial audio as well. Yes. And, and that data is presented in a very different way and has been for 20 years.
0: So I was looking for a speaker with a smooth off-axis response. Now, I couldn't get the proper data because the proper, proper data was a Floyd tool thing again. It's called a spinorama. Sounds like an 80s girl group. So a spinorama is a way of describing what's really happening with that speaker. You've got the main on-axis response, then you've got the sort of listening window response, and then you've got the reflections, and so on. And it needs to be smooth and even and well-behaved. I couldn't find something at the price I was willing to spend on the demo room, a speaker with proper spinorama data. Mm -hmm. I had to take a view. Now, THX certification for speakers does mean that they're well-behaved, and it does mean that they're well-behaved off-axis. But... I had to sort of take it on trust. And yeah, no one was giving me the real information. Yeah, and I know it's good and it's worked out, but I would have loved to be able to do a really proper job.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing. And we've 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 now got two manufacturers in in sort of the the sort of home cinema world. Yeah, that that we can rely on that data for, but only two. It's
0: madness, isn't it? I think I think we can single them out because this is praise. Um, Ascendo from Germany mm-hmm. and Pellis. yeah, just absolutely. Here you go. There's Spinarama data. Lack of mind. Do what you need to do. Yeah. Again, making big waves in the market. And so this will be interesting. It'll be interesting to see in the light of these changes, which manufacturers come on board, which manufacturers maybe even modify their designs, and which ones don't, and start sort of throwing sand at it and kind of going, no, 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 you don't need that. It's fine. No, 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 you need to do all this. It's fine. I've been doing this for 30 years. It's fine. You know, it's not fucking fine,
1: is it? No, it's not at all. <laughs> no but it's, it's 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 sometimes it's not about and i think what some manufacturers might be getting nervous about is if they release their their spinnar armada data to us yes. because i think more people have it than don't yes. but and i think if it, they worry that it's going to show flaws in their speaker
0: or they might even worry that their competitor whether or not
1: they've actually released any he's going to say oh see look at that there see that's not right and get nee. yeah but i think i think us as integrators of, of you know because I, I use a speaker that i have no data on whatsoever none but if i had the Spinorama it, it you know because i quite like this speaker that's why it's you know that's why i'm still using it in my in my demo facility because i do actually quite like it um it might just show me how i could use it in a slightly different way to get a bit more performance out of it it's not about it's not just finding the flaws um you know it's also finding its strengths and how can we engineer out that flaw if it's not a lot of work to do so I- i'm quite happy to st- stay with it mhm good what's your next one for me it goes back to seating layouts
0: I think they're heavily compromised. I'm bored of seeing rooms that are too small for it with two rows of squashy seats. And actually, here's one. If you get two rows of squashy seats, let's say they're cinema seats or sofas, and they're both a bit far back. But because they're a bit far back, you've ended up with this wall of screen. And to me, you're doing something that I see a lot, which is that will look initially more impressive in the photos. But because you pushed it back, because that back row's right up against the back wall, You've compromised the actual experience of watching the film. What's the point of that? Yeah. This room has got one job. It's for watching stuff in. Yeah. If you bring both rows of seats forward, keep the back row off the back wall, not only will your audio experience be straight away better, but probably, because you don't have an infinite projector budget, that smaller screen may seem a bit less impressive on Insta or whatever, but it'll be brighter that's a better viewing experience for everyone so I mean I actually don't think there's a compromise between performance and aesthetic I think you can engineer a room correctly and then apply styling and make it look wicked
1: yeah I I i I think I think when it comes to the aesthetics of a room I think that I mean listen I'm no interior designer but I think an interior designer can can once we've shelled out the room with where stuff's going where we pinch space here and there, I think any room is however you want it. The last two
0: rooms that sort of got anywhere, so the showroom is on the shortlist for the CD Awards. I'm not going to win because I know who else is entering, but never mind. Um That room gets stolen. You know, people pinch those images, stick them on their social, I bollock them, they argue the toss and then they take it down. That happens on the regular. Mm-hmm. Happened three days ago. Yeah. Um, the other one, the other award, that gets stolen by absolutely everyone. Because it was on the CD Awards webpage, people are like, Yeah, I'll have that. And I styled those. And again, I'm not an interior designer, but you know, my designs look good enough to get stolen and they hit all the performance metrics. Triangles by Ben Goff. Mm. That was the room of that year. That was the coolest looking thing anyone had done. Hit all the metrics, won the award. Yeah. If you're saying it's a trade-off, you need to get better.
1: Yeah, I can guarantee that Ben did all his engineering first and then made his triangles fit his engineering. Is the right answer. But this is how it should be. Yeah. You know, you engineer the
0: thing to work really well Mm -hmm. and then you style it to make it look cool. And then you put a nice coat on it. And they're both super important. Yeah. What you don't do is you don't make a room that's performing badly because you think it's going to look better that way. Make this machine work less well.
1: Do you know what? Unless your customer wants a black box. Uh Uh-huh. Which I would... Do you know what? I would happily supply that. Nothing all with that. Yeah. Oh, if he asked me for a white box... Everything wrong with that. I think I'd say no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'd just say no. White in a room, creams in a room. If it's a dedicated cinema now, um, then it, 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 it can't be white, it can't be cream, because you are just going to kill contrast to your screen unless you put in a... Well, no. It's, it's just going to be... An, for me are not a good experience honestly those rooms
0: if you want that, that
1: there's an answer telly yeah well there's a newer answer isn't there now these these modular L, really big telly yeah yeah really really big tellies yeah. <laughs> yeah that we're gonna see a lot more but i still don't like the reflections on the wall i believe
0: it's it's very hard to immerse yourself in a soundtrack when the walls are too light because it's not just about contrast performance from the image which is important It's about distraction removal. I want to disappear into the film. It's very hard to do that if you see what's around you all the time. And again, I'm not saying customers should care or follow the logic. I'm saying we're obliged to deliver them breathtaking experiences. So I don't care, Mister Customer, if you want
1: white walls. I know it's going to be shit, and I'm going to do my best to talk you out of it. Yeah, and I've done it in with with customers. Yeah, customers who come to me for a demo. Quite often, I've got a because my screen's so wide to the width of the room. It's almost the full width. Yeah. Because that's what I want. Because I think it looks cool AF. Having a screen the width of the front wall. Um, get a piece of get a piece of white paper, put it a meter from the wall, and say that you know put something on the screen. Turn the lights off. That's what that piece of paper looks like. Take it away. Now see the wall disappear a bit more. Mm-hmm. It doesn't disappear completely because my my room isn't a black box. Yeah, because I think it's got to have a little bit of something about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's,
0: it's, of course, yeah, the rooms need to look pretty cool and that will take away from absolute performance. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I don't mind doing a black hole. I've never done one, but I can see the logic of
1: it. Here's why we don't do this. Here's why we don't want to do this. But if you really want to pay me to do it and an uh, absolute detriment to your screen, then... No, absolutely. So I've
0: got no problem if you've got a lovely interior designer and you're having beige walls, but it can't be a projection-based cinema. You're not going to be immersed in it. Again... I, it's actually one of my favourite films because Louis only eight. Is Cars because it's brilliant, right? Yeah. And there's this lovely bit at the end where he goes around Radiator Springs and buys things off everyone. He goes to see Luigi for some tyres. He goes, Luigi, I want some black wall tyres. And Luigi says, "You don't know what you want. Luigi, know what you want. <laughs> well, yeah,
1: we know what you want, right? We know what's best for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think most you know most interior designers once told this is why we don't have bright cream near around a screen they'll put that into the mix and they'll change it and they'll, they'll base the room around and that's that converse these are the conversations that we need to be having with customers designers
0: so what we need to do is provide the information um for example just the other day yeah Robin from Fawn Interiors comes to see me for CPD, and I'm talking seat-to-seat variation, and I'm saying, don't put the heads too near the speakers, just all the normal stuff. Yeah. And she says, oh, well, can we do it? And I'm like, yeah. So we put one of the bar stools right by a speaker, and it takes 20 seconds, and then she totally gets it. How good is that? Yeah. There's definitely a, a trade-off, I suppose, only because there's this budget at play between spatial effects channel count dynamic range and i think the first one that you drop on that stool is going to be spatial effect mm-hmm. i do it all the time in the room i think you do it too because Arcams and anthems let you do different speaker profiles so someone comes in to see you they've got a room of the right sort of size you look at them play them the room mine's in 9.1.4 configuration uh, it's always one, by the way um it's two subs but it's single channel um and then they go oh dear, we want to spend less now Left to their own devices, I think a typical client will want to keep the channel count but drop the quality, and I don't want them to. So I will straight away go back in the back, press three buttons, put it into 5.1.2, play them that again. And it's remarkable how little you lose in terms of the overall feeling, the way the dialogue is. Of course, the dynamic range hasn't changed. We've just taken away some of the spatial effect. That's a fantastic compromise. Yeah. Because we haven't really dropped quality, but it could save you 10
1: grand. Yeah. Having speakers poorly placed is never a good compromise removing them is an amazing compromise yeah if you've got to have two rows of seats against advice
0: and if you've got them a bit far away from the back wall so that you don't have that problem of you can hear the fact that you're up against the wall but the surround backs become a problem because they're right up in your lug hole you can absolutely do one of two things you can put a sensor in either a pressure sensor on the seat or a motion sensor above the seats whichever is going to work best and tell the amplifier to drop surround back when the second row's in use. I think that was probably a Trinoff
1: thing and we nicked it. I think so. But that's really good design. Yeah. That's... Because we're all putting automation into these rooms because the wrap... You know, all the kits... I haven't done a cinema room with the kit in the room yet. So, view. I've done media rooms like that, certainly. Yeah, but but cinema rooms—I've never done it—and we've always got lighting and and we've, you know, Rayco C4, whatever it might yeah. be. So I guarantee we've already got an automation system there because what we don't give our customers is sixteen controllers to control everything.
0: A fridge in a room is a bad compromise because it's
1: noisy. It can be made good. We can definitely make that good. You can do it for a tenner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, essentially, uh, if we've got if we've got automation in the room there's absolutely nothing stopping us turning that fridge off when yeah. when when the when it's on.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Either when it's in use or when they tell it to. Easy. Yeah, Yeah. Oh, bad compromise
1: happens all the time. Noise floor. Yeah. People aren't considering it. Pro- people probably, yeah, people aren't considering it and people probably don't understand the difference it makes to the whole room. This is it. I mean, we spend a lot of time talking about ingredients, right?
0: And I think manufacturers, brands encourage that. They want us to... You know, it's it's almost like a bit of a cult where, you know, I am the way, the truth and the light. How's this going to get better? Oh, you need better ingredients. I used to do it in the hi-fi shop, you know, 20 years ago. I didn't know any better. Oh, I've got a problem and it sounds a bit like this and it sounds a bit like this. And the solution, it's a bit like a 16th century doctor going, oh, what you need is a course of leeches. Um, The solution is always, "I'll buy better stuff. Forget all that a minute. Make the room quieter.
1: Yeah, so... It's back to this reference word. So so what's, what do we all know as reference is 105 dB in our room. That's, that's what everybody wants to achieve, right? Yeah. Which isn't very difficult to do at all. No. But if your noise floor, if your room, when everything, when the room is silent, if your room hums along at 50 dB, you're only giving your customer a 55 dB lift. Yep. Yeah. Let's get that room down to 30. Of course. And that is a significant change. Yeah,
0: I think my room is down at 26. It just sort of, it doesn't squeak in, but it's nicely just under whatever it is you need for level two. And I can't remember it off the top of my head.
1: The problem with my room is I've got a joinery shop <laughs> in the same room. Do you not tell the lads to shut up when there's a demo, no? That's what we do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah if we do, we have to. Yeah, we can't have the CNCs and edge banders going on while it. Uh, yeah. we We don't have a very low noise floor there. You just can't stop some noises. It's
0: one of the biggest performance upgrades there is, and so few people are doing it. A quiet room is straight away a good room. You can hear what the equipment's doing. Yeah, you don't have to wind it round nearly so much to hear it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you're going to hear the whispers and then the explosions. Yeah, the, the the whispers are so much quieter, but audible. And then the the explosions. So it's it's are much more impactful, and and that that variation and that difference is is noticeable. Exactly, and I mean. I always think
0: if you have to turn it up quite a bit to hear those whispers, chances are, unless it's a really very well-specified system with a lot of headroom, when the building does collapse, you know, things are going to overload, things are going to rattle, the amps are going to sort of reach their limit. So that won't be pleasant. Mm. And so you'll either find yourself riding the volume, which is crappy, right? That's not immersive at all. No. Or your neighbors will bang on the ceiling because you're actually throwing too much energy into the whole building. Or 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 whatever it be. But, yeah, make these rooms quiet. That's massive.
1: Yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think what RP22 is going to do for people is, long and short of it is, the room is the first thing that's going to make your or break your, your product. Completely. I don't care what speaker or what speaker cost is. If you haven't put the time, energy, and effort into the room itself you're only going to come out with an okay job.
0: Yeah. And actually, things like doors, heavy doors, seals on doors, ideally, and I was lucky enough that I could, could do this without too much extra effort, if you've got a door into the cinema and then the next door along is at right angles to that, you've done a great job because sound waves don't bend, right? Mm-hmm. So straight away, you've just made that a lot quieter and it works just as well in terms of noise coming in. Mm-hmm two decently thick doors with a bit of seal on the edges yeah very good times
1: yeah 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 because we want these rooms airtight yeah otherwise we're not going to pressurize them absolutely so your, your building falling over isn't going to hurt your insides which is what i really like from a cinema room mm-hmm. I like an internal massage <laughs> excellent i think that'll do good
0: just a couple of little bits um we're now at the point where we want questions. We want to know what to talk about next. So if you email us, it's podcast at uk. If you want to email one or other of us, you know, if you want to tell Tom where I went wrong in life, that's completely cool. <laughs> Tom at and Owen at homesinemadesign.co.uk. Uh, we've been the Home Cinema Design Podcast. Thank you very much. Take care all. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.